you have your Bibles, you've turned to Mark chapter 7 this morning. We're continuing our study. We're changing things up a little bit. We're going to move straight on into our, our teaching this morning. There's a few other things that we will, uh, you'll be introduced to at the close of the service this morning. But uh, Mark chapter 7, uh, let me ask you this morning, have you ever had a thought such as, am I really saved? Don't raise your hands. I'm not asking and I'm not even looking. I'm not even looking for a response. It's like, oh yeah, or... Have you ever had those thoughts, am I really saved or am I doing enough to really make sure God's pleased with me? You ever had those thoughts where you you wonder, do I really qualify to be a Christian? Do I really qualify to be this follower of Christ? Have I really taken up my cross? Am Am I meeting up to what God expects? Am I who Jesus would call to be a disciple? And I would say that probably somewhere in our Christian walk, every one of us has probably dealt with some questions because I know the tactics of the enemy. I know how subtle the enemy is in in, uh, planting some of those seeds of thought. And then the first thing we need is discouragement. Then from discouragement, we're pretty good about just building on from there. But these thoughts can lead us to something Jesus warns us about this morning. It can lead us into uh, a faith or Christian relationship with Christ based on our works. Jesus is going to talk about tradition today. He's going to talk about the religious tradition of the the Pharisees and the the Sadducees. But in a way, he really speaks to all of us this morning. That in the length of our Christian walk, if we've been in this very much time at all, it's very easy, and I've seen it happen in my own life from season to season, time to time. I've seen it happen in others. You've probably seen it yourself. To, to forget the freedom that we have been given in Christ, that we are saved by grace and not of works, and we're, we, we have this freedom. The freedom is not so we can go off and do anything we want. The freedom is so that we don't have to feel like we've got to do everything in the world to please God. That's the freedom. But we can easily digress and slip back into a bondage. Paul would say this, why are you going back to the former way of slavery? Why are you going back to the works that Jesus has set you free from? And we can slowly digress back into that, and then the danger becomes we get bound up in legalism. And legalism is is detrimental to my faith. It's detrimental to all of our faith. It's detrimental to the church. It's detrimental to the mission of Jesus. In fact, it's in absolute opposition to Jesus because we're going to see today Jesus, his biggest issues of confrontation were always with religious people. And that group of religious people were very legalistic. We'll talk about it. I'll help you understand a little bit more of their way of thinking, these Pharisees and these Sadducees. Jesus was a lot more easygoing and a lot more relational to sinners who knew they were sinners than the religious people who didn't think they needed Jesus. So he's going to warn us about some things today. This lesson today is for anybody in the house or online who is a, a true seeker of God, who, who, who wants, the, wants what God has, wants to, to honor God with our words and with our attitudes and our actions. This is for Bible students, people who really love and believe God's word is the inspired and errant word of God. It's for those who love worshiping God, who genuinely, not, 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 they don't love hearing themselves sing, they, they really love God that they're worshiping and their, their attention goes to God. It's for those who who truly want to follow Jesus and please him. But it's a warning to every serious seeker 
of the kingdom of God this morning. So, you have to, the Bible says you still have to love me, even when we're through today. And I'm going to do the best I can not to give you my opinions, but to give you what Jesus is addressing. And so you have to take it with the understanding that if, if Jesus steps on your toes, it's, it's Jesus and, and not the pastor this morning. Because I'm going to do my best. If you'll pray for me, I'm going to do my best to keep it Jesus and not Pastor Mark. And so here we go. Let me define legalism for you for a moment. I'm going to define legalism and religious tradition. Legalism is this. It is the substituting of outward acts or words for true godly attitudes that come from a true relationship to God. Legalism, let me say it again, is the substituting by outward works. I do things outwardly to demonstrate and prove that on the inside I'm righteous and holy. You know, Jesus would even say at one time, you Pharisees are good, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You're full of dead men's bones, but you've painted the outside of the tomb to look so clean and fresh, but yet it's full of death. So legalism is this idea of substituting outward works or words for what is really true God attitudes that come from a true relationship to God. Every Christian at some point is going to be uh, uh, confronted with attitudes of legalism. This today is a warning so that we learn to guard. It is a warning so that we repent if we need to repent, but it is a warning to all of us today that it is possible we go back to a work-based relationship with God to earn his favor instead of trusting in his grace and the fact that I am who he says I am and I am a child of his. Legalism is setting up our own ideas of holiness and then using those ideas to measure our spiritual depths, but it doesn't stop there because then we we forecast that onto everyone else. And we, we measure their spiritual depth by our standards. And we miss it in God's standards. We are saved by grace and we remain saved by grace. So let us not digress back into, as Paul said, this bondage to works. So that's legalism. You're going to hear Jesus this morning use the term religious tradition or traditions of man is how he's going to say it. The traditions that he's speaking of, religious traditions, are this. The transmission of religious customs from generation to generation are beliefs believed to have divine authority, though not found in the Bible. In other words, there are things passed down in the the Jewish culture that Jesus is addressing, but it happens with us as well. Passing down from generation to generation certain traditions that sound good, and might even have been inspired by somebody because of one verse or a sentence or a couple of words in a verse, and then all of a sudden making doctrine and making authoritative truth out of it. So Jesus is going to address this. Not all traditions are bad. Jesus gave us two, we call them ordinances, that we're to follow. One is water baptism. At the beginning of our conversion experience in Christ, we are to follow him in water baptism, making a public confession of our faith in Christ. We're also given the ordinance or the the tradition of communion. Once we are saved, then we continue testifying to our salvation through the elements of communion, celebrating, honoring, remembering, and holding to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There's certain holidays that are traditions that are not bad. Christmas is not bad. 
Christmas, if you celebrate it as the coming of Christ, the Son of God to this earth, that's a great way to, to stay focused and to, to remember who Christ is, that he is God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Easter's not a bad tradition. Oh, we may have piled a bunch of things onto both of these holidays, but if you take it as a worship to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and make it as a celebration to his resurrection and the new life he's given you, there's not anything wrong with that. But there are many traditions that we allow to come into our understanding personally that we then try to transfer over to others. We try to make them spiritual when they really aren't. We try to make them biblical when there really is no biblical foundation. We, uh, we tend to get caught up on things like, what do you wear to church? What translation of the Bible are you using? Like somehow, you know, do you sing choruses or do you sing off the wall? What's your preference? What are these things? And we, we make doctrines out of those that then become, become doctrine for us, and they really don't have any rooting anywhere in the authority of God's Word. But you're going to see what happens in a moment uh, when we do this and how it turns into a doctrine of reality for us. So today, Jesus is going to confront the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. He's going to deal with their legalism, uh, which is their oral traditions that has now turned into legalism. You're going to meet the Pharisees. The Pharisees are uh, a very strict sect of the Jewish community. They are very devout religious men. They are devoted to the Word of God. They are known to be students of the Word of God, the Old Testament. They are known to be teachers of the Old Testament. They adhere to what we would say we would call the letter of the law. Now, to make sure they keep the law, the Ten Commandments, they then began over a period of time and over centuries developing certain laws and rules of man that make sure you're keeping the Ten God gave. So like... Uh, uh, keeping the Sabbath. Well, let me, let me back up for a minute. The, the, these laws are, are scribed in a, in a writing in a commentary called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is teachings from various rabbis through the centuries, several hundred different rabbis. And one rabbi would teach on this and they would write it in there and then another would come teach on this and then they would write it and they just keep this. And then they always go back to it. Well, what does rabbi so-and-so say about this. What did Rabbi so-and-so say about the washing of hands and this and that and the other? And then they begin to develop then 613 laws on how to follow the commands of God. So for instance, the idea of the Sabbath, right? In the Ten Commandments, God said, keep the Sabbath day what? Holy. He said, do no work on the seventh day. And that was, that was it. They came up with 24 chapters of writings and teachings from the rabbis on what it means not to work on the Sabbath. So intrigued and so interested in wanting to keep the law of the Sabbath that they had to come up with rules on how to make sure they were doing that so that they knew what to do, if you will. The problem is those weren't from God. They weren't from God. God says keep the day holy. What does that mean? You and God figure out what does it mean to keep the day holy. If he says don't work, what does that mean? Don't work. But they came up with all the rules. So there's 24 chapters, such as some, some very interesting, very integral things that you, you were bound to if you were going to be holy and keep the Sabbath holy, uh, such as you couldn't pick up anything weighing more than a dried fig 
because that would be considered carrying a burden, a dried fig. Now, if you picked up two items that were small, that weighed less than a, each individual item, you picked up a, fig, a dried fig and you picked up another dried fig, you're okay. Now you've got two dried figs, which is double the weight, but it's okay because they're two individual ones. Can you imagine the burden? All day, 24 hours of the Sabbath trying to figure out, did I just blow it? Did I just break the command? Did, what? You, just, you were frozen almost. Here's another one. You couldn't bathe on the Sabbath. Now, in West Texas, Saturday was bath day, right? But according to the Jewish custom for them, you didn't bathe on the Sabbath day because you might spill water on the floor. If you spill water on the floor, what are you going to most likely do? You're going to wipe it up, which would constitute mopping the floor, which would constitute working during the day on the Sabbath. You couldn't spit on the ground on the Sabbath because your spit could be considered cultivating the ground and you weren't supposed to work the ground on the Sabbath day. Now we chuckle, but this is, this is what they lived by and you see the burden. So when, when Paul would say it is for freedom that Christ has set you free, why are you going back to all of this? He's saying, look, didn't you find freedom in knowing you could spit on the ground anytime you needed to spit? Didn't you find it comforting to know you could bathe anytime you had stink? Don't you find it comforting to know that, that you can do certain things that they've been telling you all along you couldn't do? Now he says, don't do these things to sin, but he says it's for freedom. It's freedom from this yoke that Christ has set you free. God simply said, keep the Sabbath day holy, and then they gave all of these rules and, and laws to guarantee it was being kept. And if you didn't keep them, you weren't holy. And of course, nobody was as holy as the Pharisees because they did everything they could to keep them. But Jesus is about to address that. They were beginning to hold their rules and their traditions more authoritative than the Word of God. That's why Jesus had a problem with them. And he didn't accept their rules, and that's why they had a problem with him. So let's go. Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at three lessons on legalism that we all need to know this morning. We're going to read, beginning in verse number 1, says, Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. Now, this is going to be a tradition of theirs. That is, unwashed. Verse 3, here's Mark's commentary. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Now stop there for a moment. We're going to read verse 5 in a second. But remember, we told you at the introduction of this series many, many weeks ago that, that Mark is writing to a Gentile audience so they don't understand Jewish ways. So Mark is explaining why Jesus has this conversation with them and why they are confronting Jesus. Then verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? The first truth this morning is this. Legalism is not the equivalent of spiritual maturity. 
Legalism is not the equivalent to spiritual maturity. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were about as spiritual, at least on the outside, that you could ever get. If you ever saw a Pharisee or a Sadducee, you knew who they were because of the way they dressed. They were very pious, and, and you knew who they were. You just didn't know what was on the inside. You see, they knew the Old Testament well. They memorized it. They taught it. They spoke it. They went to church every time the doors were open. They called it synagogue. They observed every religious festival faithfully. They prayed. They prayed out loud. They prayed publicly. They fasted. They even dressed religiously. But their biggest issue was that they were forcing everybody else to have to do the same to prove how holy they were. You see, it's okay if you go to synagogue every day, but does that mean somebody who doesn't go to synagogue every day doesn't know God, the same God you know? It's okay to, to, to know all the, the Word of God, but what if you don't know all the Word of God? What if you haven't memorized as many verses from the, from the Torah as the, the Pharisees have? The biggest issue that Jesus has to deal with is the fact that they are expecting this upon others. He talks about, in other places, them putting a burden on people that's too heavy to carry. Even the Pharisees themselves, if they really adhered to it, couldn't carry these things themselves. They confront Jesus with one of their man-made traditions. It's the tradition of hand washing. Now, there is not a thing in the world with washing your hands. Can I give a can I get a COVID-19 amen? amen? And there's not anything wrong with sanitizing your hands. I have a feeling the disciples probably did wash their hands. They practiced hygiene. Jesus wasn't going to let them run around all filthy and dirty all the time. In fact, he sat down when they wouldn't wash their own feet. He sat down and washed their feet for them. I think they practiced hygiene, but the deal was they weren't doing a ceremonial hand washing. Now, this ceremonial hand washing looks something like this. You would, uh, the Pharisees, and they would say, if you were going to be holy, you had to do the same thing. Before you ever ate any meal of the day, you had to take a basin of water and you had to put your hands out, palm up, cupped, and someone would pour water over your hands. Then you would take the fist of one hand and you would scrub that other hand thoroughly. And then you would close this fist and you would take and you would now scrub the other hand. Then you would place your hands palm down over the basin of water and somebody would pour water over the tops of your hands. Now you can, you can eat your hummus to your delight. This was ceremonial hand washing. Now here's the deal. God only told one group of people in the Old Testament to ceremonially cleanse themselves. And it was the priests. In fact, in the tabernacle, and then ultimately Solomon's temple, you had a piece of furnishing that was, was made out of, out of brass and copper, and it was the brazen laver, and it was full of water, and it was the place that the priests would wash their hands, they would wash their feet, they would wash any parts that need to be washed to purify themselves because they're about to go into the house of God for the ministry of God to minister before him. But the Pharisees and rabbis in their teachings through the years and decades and centuries had surmised that if you wanted to be holy like the priest, you're going to have to do this every time you want to eat. 
So that was a man-made tradition. The reason Jesus didn't require his disciples, could you imagine? Food's on the table and you got 12 guys, well, 13 if you're counting Jesus, and each one of you has got to go through the ceremony and wash each other's hands and all of that. Jesus didn't adhere to that because it wasn't from the authority of God's word. It was a tradition of man passed on to appear a person is holy because they sanctify themselves each time they go to eat. They made it a mark of holiness, a measure of how righteous and mature a person was. If anybody in the first century of the coming of Christ should have been uh, spiritually mature, it would be the Pharisees. And they were looked as on that. People thought they were and honored them as such. But we find that the reality is those traditions didn't make them any more spiritual than anybody else. Because they weren't from God, they were from themselves. And if you and I are not careful, we can begin to equate certain activities and attire, hairstyles and hair lengths to spiritual maturity. I've told you guys my, my story of the uh, when I first got saved, I had the Ted Nugent uh, do going on. And this little lady at my church who was a retired missionary uh, was always trying to witness to me. Now, I'm saved. I've been delivered from four years of, of, of full-on addiction, and I'm full of Jesus, and I'm going to go preach one day. And she, godly as she is, she's trying to witness to me. Somehow she didn't get the memo. She missed that page in the book of life when she tried to look for my name. Anyway, she's always trying to witness to me. And about that same time, I read the scripture where Paul says, a man should not pray with his head covered. And I went into a panic because I didn't get this overnight. Okay, I have worked to get to this level. And most of it was unsaved when I did it. <laughs> it was, there was a lot of vanity involved, no doubt. And I read that verse, and I took my Bible, and I went to, to my youth pastor, and I said, uh, I said uh, look what this says. And in pure John fashion, he takes the Bible, and he folds it up, and picks up my arm, and he sticks it under it, and he closes my arm over it, and he says, you don't do anything to your hair cutting-wise until God tells you to. And it was a few months later that the Holy Spirit dealt with me, that if Sister Mary was having an issue with my hair, and I was believing that God had called me to preach the word, if that was going to be a distraction, would I? And it was really a test for me more than anything else. I think you guys would love me no matter what, because I've had a few hairstyles in the 26 years we've been here. But it, it was an issue more for me than anything else. Would I? And when God spoke to me about it, it was no problem. Cut them locks off and I was good to go. Didn't matter. You see, we create these traditions about things that, that really don't have a biblical basis. And we, we try to justify them biblically by finding a verse or finding a sentence or finding a couple of words and a phrase and saying, well, there you go. There you go. You know, a tradition. There's not anything wrong, as I said, going to church every time the doors are open. And tradition has been for numbers of years that there was Sunday morning and Sunday evening services and midweek services and potlucks here and potlucks there and this and that. And, and there's not anything wrong with any of that, except when you begin to mark how spiritual you are because you are so faithful to get yourself to it every time it's open. And you expect that if somebody else in the church is spiritual like you are, they'll get there too. 
That's where Jesus has an issue. So some people say, you know, Pastor, and we haven't had a Sunday night service in quite some years. We, we replaced that with victory groups. But how did we get there? Well, began to realize back in the day, we were, we were doing the Sunday morning, Sunday night, and, and, and everybody that was coming back on Sunday night, it was, only, it was less than a third of the Sunday morning attendance, so not many were wanting to come back on Sunday night. And so people were judging, saying, well, they must not be very spiritual or they'd be here with us on Sunday night instead of at home watching Disney Channel or whatever. And so we began to realize, so, so there's this, this real lack of attendance. And I looked out, I was teaching through the book of Joshua on the Sunday night series, and I looked out and I just, this, I just hit me. The people that were there were leaders in the church. And most of them were Sunday school teachers and uh, things of that nature, and they could teach what I'm teaching them. Why are we, why are we doing this? And so we made a bold move. The leadership was in agreement, and we, we took Sunday nights and replaced it with the victory groups. We started victory groups, and we tripled our Sunday night attendance. And in those days, we only did them on Sunday night. So it wasn't that people were so unspiritual they didn't want to go to church on Sunday night. It was that they just didn't see any reason for going to do the exact same thing we just did four hours earlier. So we gave them another angle. Let's meet together in groups and let's interact together instead of staring at the back of each other's head hearing the preacher preach something that we already know. Traditions. How many of you have ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? Tradition. So Jesus is dealing with their spirit of legalism. Not anything wrong with wanting to wash your hands before you eat. Just don't make it an act of holiness and think you're pleasing God and then make others do the same in order to please God. Let's pick up with verse number six now. Knowing that it's not a sign of maturity, Jesus now says this. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Now that's tough when Jesus calls you a hypocrite. It's one thing if your neighbor does and it gets you a little irritated, but when Jesus says it, yoza. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So not only is legalism not a sign of spiritual maturity, in fact, it, legalism is just the opposite. When somebody really realizes you're in legalism, it's really more of a sign of immaturity that you haven't understood what God's Word really says. Second truth here now is this. Legalism fosters hypocrisy and idolatry. No amens. That's okay because I haven't told you what it means yet. So I'll, I'll let you off. Jesus bowled out, called them hypocrites. A hypocrite is a, it's a Latin. It comes from a Latin word that uh, is, is a, uh, it, it was based on, on the theater and actors on stage. And an actor would, uh, would portray three or four characters in a production on stage and to, to designate between the characters, the actor or actress would, would put on a mask to be one character, take it off, put on another mask to, to be another character. And that was hypocrite. Now, in that statement, in that context, it wasn't a bad word, it's a fact. This is what he's doing. But then it became to mean someone who portrays one image 
but is really something else. In other words, this guy in the acting, he was really that, but he's, he's also this. And so Jesus says, you're, you're portraying an image that's not real, and it's not you. And on the outside, you're putting on this mask, but on the inside, like I said, he, he would say to him, you are whitewashed tombs. Legalism is the highest form of hypocrisy. As Jesus would say to the Pharisees in another place in the scriptures, you put this weight on people that you yourselves can't even carry. They expected you and me to live by it, but they weren't able to live by it themselves. But nobody knew that because they wore the robes and they prayed with loud prayers outside and, and they went to synagogue every week. But Jesus says, no, your form of legalism is a, is a form of hypocrisy. And you hear criticism of Christians in our generation that non-believers will say, well, there's, there's too many hypocrites at church. And I don't know. I don't know. There probably are. I don't know that there's too many. I know there's got to be some. I know I've had issues with it myself. Not that you were a hypocrite, but that I was dealing with it myself. So it's, it, it, it's legit in some ways. The idea of hypocrisy in our legalism really comes into play because we're elevating ourselves to the position of God when we walk in the spirit of legalism. We're requiring others to be what we are, and what we are may not necessarily be what God has expected. Focusing on the sins or weakness of, uh, of others while failing to address our own is called hypocrisy. It's the idea, Jesus says, why are you worried about the speck in your brother's eye when you, you need to deal with the plank first? That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is being blinded by the plank and focusing on this little speck with the other eye. Jesus would say, first take that plank out of your own eye. A mature follower of Christ. Let me, let me help us guard against this legalism. How do we keep, if it's easy for Christians to, after a period of time, begin to slip back, and Paul even had to address it several times, slipping back into legalism, how do we, how do we guard that? Can I just give you a couple things that I believe the Holy Spirit gave to me this week? A mature follower of Christ, he's going to be honest about himself or herself. Honest about yourself. Honest about your own shortcomings. Not playing like you've got it together, but also don't burden everybody else down with your woes, right? I mean, you can go to one or the other, you can just, everything's cool with me, or then you just pour out all your deepest, darkest sins on everybody else, and they're like, whoa, I don't even know what, do I call the police? Should I call the FBI about this? Has a report been made? Be honest about yourself. Don't think, Paul says, more highly of yourself than you ought to. So be honest about yourself and who you are and, and your weaknesses. Now, don't become so overcome with your weaknesses and your own shortcomings that you, you focus on that and you become so bound up in that that you fall into depression. But know who you are. Be honest with God about it. And then know who He says you are. And yes, you have these weaknesses in your life. That's what he's doing to transform you out of. That's why he's still working on you. You're not disregarding yourself when you're being honest about yourself, but honestly recognizing 
that you are saved by grace. Because you see, the first thing that happens when you start casting legalism off on somebody else is you're not giving them the same grace that you have received from God. So if you forget that you were saved by grace and not because you're all high and mighty, then you're going to cast that onto someone else. So be honest about yourself. Second one is this. Be transparent and sincere. Paul, or the, uh, John says this. Confess your sin to one another. First, you confess your sin to Jesus. First John 1 John 1.9, he's faithful and just and will forgive you of your sin. But Paul, or John also says this, though. He says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. You want to be saved, you confess your sin to Jesus. You want to be healed, you get a good accountability partner, a spirit-filled, mature believer who doesn't walk in legalism, who you can be completely honest with and transparent with and let them pray with you and walk with you. But be transparent. You see, the, where the world has the biggest issue, where unbelievers wrestle with Christianity and, and that is, is they, they, don't, they feel like we're fake. That there's nobody that could have all of that together. Now, what they don't know is we have it together with Jesus. But they need to understand Jesus is a real day-to-day personal relationship, walking hand-in-hand. To help me through this day, and through this day, and through this day. That I'm not super saint, but I am super saved. I just made that up. You can put that on. Somebody put that on a shirt. Where's Jackie today? Where's our our t-shirt Jackie got today? I don't remember what I said. I'm not super saint, but I am super saved. That was it. Be transparent and sincere. That's going to guard you from legalism. And then thirdly, be actively submitting to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in you. In other words, keep the activity and the relationship with the Holy Spirit active. Paul says we're led by the Spirit of God. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Follow in obedience. As Paul would say, don't walk in the flesh, walk in the Spirit. Submit yourself to the transforming, sanctifying work of Jesus. Yes, you got these things. You're open and transparent about it. You're not putting on a mask, but you are trusting that Jesus is at work honing, healing, and restoring you. So he talks about hypocrisy, but then I believe he hits on idolatry in the very next statement there of verse 8. He says, in vain they worship me. He's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah saw it in his time, and Jesus sees it in his time. In vain, they worship me. To to be vain in worship means to have folly or no purpose. In other words, Jesus is saying that, uh, that, that, that there's no purpose to your worship because it's not coming from your heart. What did Jesus say true worship is? Spirit and truth, not works and judgment. So he says you're... Your worship is folly. It's not even affecting anything of the Father. It's not opening anything up in relationship to the Father for you. And any form of false worship is called idolatry. And legalism is a form of idolatry because legalism begins to put ourselves above the authority of God. Mm. Did we not just get saved because of our sin, which was our own self-rule? And why do we go back? Why do we go back? Legalism is a form of idolatry. It is a form of false worship. The Pharisees thought they had God in a box and that they carried him with them everywhere they went. No one could have been any further from God 
than those religious leaders. The application is that Christians, we tend to attach holiness to maturity and we attach that to certain traditions. We, the spirit of legalism elevates these things we prefer. We prefer this. We prefer people dressed like this. We prefer people. Now, I will say this. Let me say that in any of these, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you. Holy Spirit, if you're saved and born again, Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. As my youth pastor refused to talk to me about cutting my hair, he said, I know your heart. He's the one that led me to Christ. He says, you let God talk to you about that. You know, fasting, we start 21 days every year. The first 21 days, we start with prayer and fasting here at Victory Family Church. And in the most recent years, you've heard me tell you, you choose your fast. I'll present you some options and what fasting looks like, but I tell you, you choose how you're going to fast because that can become legalism. And then you're going to spend 21 days starving yourself to death are walking around with a pounding caffeine headache for 21 days because you felt bound to it because the pastor said we had to cut out coffee and we had to do this, we had to do that. So all of these things can become legalism. What translation of the Bible you read? There's, 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 no, there's no true God-authorized translation. Okay, the King James is called the authorized version, but it wasn't God that authorized it. It's called King James because King James authorized it and said, let's quit hearing what everybody else out there thinks. Let's get these scholars together and let's, let's put one translation together that all of the churches of England will teach and preach from. So it's not, oh man... We turn these things into authoritative words from God when they're not, when they're not. But what I was saying, such as dress and things like that, the Holy Spirit, when, when I'm in true relation with Christ, he's going, to, he's going to speak to me about me. And, and I do have to listen. But it's for me to judge myself and not to judge someone else. Now, if I am given responsibility to disciple and mentor someone who's newer in the faith, I may have conversations with them about here's what God's Word says, but let the Holy Spirit talk to you about this. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about this. I don't want to push tradition. I don't want to push my opinion or my thought. Here's some verses. Look and see what the Holy Spirit says to you. Legalism turns into hypocrisy and idolatry. Let's pick up in verse 8 now. Jesus says, You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. Now he's going to point out one of their traditions to them and why their fallacy with it and how they twist it into doctrine. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But as you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained for me is Corban, now he defines Corban, that is given to God. The word Corban means something is dedicated to God. 
whatever you would have gained from me is Corban. Then you are no longer permitted to help to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. What Jesus is saying here, but let me give you your third truth. Legalism replaces the authority of God's word. What Jesus is saying about this issue of the mother and the father, remember the commandment, honor your mother and your father. So then they came up with a bunch of rules of what it means to honor your mother and father. But then they also came up with a bunch of rules about what it is to dedicate yourself and your things to God. So they had come up with this idea that if you dedicate something to God, it can't be used for anything else. It's got to be used for God. So if you dedicate, if you take and you dedicate all of your finances to God and your mother and father are up in years and the command is to honor your mother and father and you're to be taking care of them, but you come to them and say, man, mom, dad, I'm, I'm so sorry, I can't can't do anything for you because silly me, I, I gave it all, I dedicated it to God as it's jingling in your coat pockets. But so strict to the adherence, Jesus says, you're nullifying the command of God that you're trying to keep because you, with your tradition, have dedicated all of that to God. God would rather you dedicate it to him by giving and honoring your mother and your father. So he takes that illustration, and, and let me show you something of the progress that happens here. This is how we digress into uh, legalism. Step one, it begins by giving tradition the same authority in your life equal to God's word. Giving tradition and legalistic ideas the authority in your life that equals God's word. Verse 7, he says, you, you hold to the teaching of men and their ideas as, they are, as though they are commands of God. So thinking that our preferences, thinking that our own personal rules of holiness concerning attire or anything else, we take that to be authoritative as God's word. When there's really not any, any place in the scripture that tells us whether it's okay for the pastor not to wear a tie on Sunday or not. I'm telling you, I was bound up in that. First time I ever didn't wear a tie, everybody rejoiced. I went six months debating whether or not to wear a tie before I took the tie off because I didn't want to offend anybody. Now, can I tell you, when I talk about legalism, I know from my own personal dealings with it, but I also know we had some seasons in time in our church where there were some very prominent, predominant legalistic attitudes. And, well, enough said. There were people, I've told people this before, if I had to make a decision on some things, I would sometimes catch myself wondering what brother or sister so-and-so is going to think before I would acknowledge, I think God's told me to do this. That's, well, that's why Jesus hates legalism. Gets in the way of what God truly intends to do. So the progression, the digression begins by considering your opinion or your tradition or your form of holiness that's come from you as authority to God's word. Then it continues into preferring tradition over God's word. So now you start to prefer, prefer your tradition over what God might actually be saying. Verse 9, he says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. Let's take some examples. 
Jesus teaches us, do not judge. But a legalistic spirit finds it pretty easy to judge. In fact, it's easier to judge than not judge when you're dealing with a legalistic spirit. Jesus says, love others as you love yourself, but a legalistic spirit won't enable you to give the same grace to others that the grace is he's given to you. Jesus says, love others as you love yourself, but a legalistic spirit, you aren't able to give grace to others that you received. And I told you that one, sorry about that. He puts in, uh, he says another time, put the, Paul says, put the needs of others above your own. But a spirit of legalism makes you think that they don't deserve what is yours because they're not as holy as you are holy. After all, they might take it and use it for an unholy use. But if God says, give it, give it. Legalism finds it easy to justify tradition over God's word, which then leads to the third step. Legalism now progresses to actually sidestepping God's word for the sake of your own traditions. He says you have a way of rejecting. That word reject in the Greek means to set aside. You know what God's word says, but you're willing to set it aside for a moment because you think this. A legalist feels that if God's word gets in the way of their view, their idea, or their opinion, they can just set it aside temporarily. That's a spirit of legalism. And then fourthly and final, what it leads to is this. It results in now making God's word invalid in your life. Verse 13, Jesus says, making then void the word of God by your tradition. The very word you think you're upholding, you're actually voiding out by your own legalism. You become so convinced that you're right when you're dealing with the spirit of legalism that no one, including God and his word, can convince you otherwise. The pastor or anyone else can open up Scripture as clearly as can be and show it to you in black, white, and, black, white, and red, and you're, you're still going to reject it with a legalistic spirit. That's why Christians can be some of the most hateful people on the planet. Man, people. How do we get there? How do we, how do we get the reputation of being some of the most hateful people on the planet? Legalism. We got away from the law of the spirit and we got back into the law of the flesh. And when nobody else can convince us that my opinion and my idea and my, my, my legalistic view of holiness is, is right and nobody can convince me otherwise, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fight to the death. From my view. And then we just chop everybody up that gets in the way. You see, legalism is going to take you further from God than it will ever take you closer to God. And when we get closer to God and we're walking in His Spirit, we have the fruit of the Spirit. But legalism destroys the fruit of the Spirit. Because now we're living by the, the law. 
This progression, my friends, is subtle. It's subtle. Legalism, as it moves us further away from God, we don't recognize it. We feel pretty convinced that my rule of holiness is, is God's rule of holiness and, and should be the rule of holiness for everyone. The Pharisees thought they were closer to God than anyone, including Jesus. And hello, who was Jesus? Oh, God in flesh. God with us. Do you see how dangerous legalism is? That when I set the rules void from God, it destroys. In verse 13, the last statement Jesus makes about this is this. And many such things you do. Had to contemplate that pretty heavy this week. Many such things you do. Do you realize that there's probably more ways we operate in legalism personally than we know we do? There were Ten Commandments. Man added 613 laws to keep those commandments. Jesus comes in the face of the Pharisees and says, there's really only two. Love God, love others. And if you think about it, he says, that sums up the whole law. If you go back and read the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, the first four commandments have to do with your love for God. The last six have to do with your relationship to others. If you love them, you don't commit adultery. If you love them, you don't murder them. If you love them, you don't lie to them and you don't steal from them. If you love God, you don't put any other gods above Him, including yourself. Love God, Jesus says, and love others. So to love others and to walk away from legalism and bondage to putting people under legalistic authority, appreciate people the way Jesus does. See the value in people, whether they look like you, whether they think like you, whether they even know the Jesus you know. Value them. Accept who they are and where they are. Jesus did that for you. He didn't ask you to get right first. He said, come to me and I'll make you right. You want to help them get right? Then you're going to have to accept them where they are. You can't tell them, hey, look, I'd really like to take you to church with me, but man, you're going to have to take those flip-flops off. You're going to have to put some shoes on that cover your toes because that's unholy. Let them wear their flip-flops. Let them, whatever, just make sure they're dressed because that's our culture, culturally acceptable to be dressed in some fashion. Accept them where they are and for who they are and then let Jesus do through you what he can do. And then act toward them the way you would want them acting toward you. Do you want to be judged by the same standard you're judging other people? Because Jesus says, look, that's exactly what will happen. And he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 